Hi, my name is Joe Jackson. I'm an interviewer and a broadcaster. And what you're about to hear is one of the 1,400 interviews I did for publications such as the Irish Times, Sunday Independent, Hot Press Magazine, and for RTE Radio 1. How do I know that there are 1,400 interviews exactly? Because I recently digitised all the damn tapes myself. But please remember that many of the interviews were done for the print media and recorded on cassette tapes. So some are, let's say, sonically challenged. But sometimes sonic considerations should give way to historical significance, I believe. And I'm glad to say that at least some powers that be in RT Radio 1 agreed with me on this and broadcast between 2015 and 2018 many of my interviews in a series called The Joe Jackson Tapes Revisited. What follows is one such programme edited for this podcast and minus music, which I can't use for copyright reasons. The full tapes can be accessed at joejacksoninterviewer.com. Either way, enjoy. Let's face it, many people who are fans of someone often say or think, I'd love to sit down and have a coffee or a pint with... Who? Well, you fill in that gap, the name of your hero. And if that hero happens to be Joe Dolan, then later in this show you can, in a way, join Joe and I for a pint in the snug of the bar in Dublin's Clarence Hotel for an interview we did in 2001 that has never been broadcast. Or... More factually speaking, you can at least eavesdrop. But first, I want to revisit the unedited tape we made a year earlier for an edition of my RT Radio 1 series, Under the Influence. At the time, Joe Dolan, who was born in Mullingar in 1939, was having a huge resurgence of popularity, having redefined his style for the 21st century, with two EMI albums, Joe's 90s, and, suitably enough, 21st Century Joe. And even though Under the Influence was ostensibly about the musical influences in an artist's life, and Joe incidentally chose songs by Elvis, The Stones, Ella Fitzgerald and Elkie Brooks, I kicked off the show by telling him about an August 1969 issue of the New Musical Express I'd read again the night before our interview, and in which his first major international hit, Make Me an Island, was in the British Top 20, alongside classic hits by two of his heroes, Elvis's In the Ghetto and The Stones' Honky Tonk Women. But I also suggested near the start of the programme that the chart success of Make Me an Island in Britain had a lot to do with music industry shenanigans. But first... Not in the slightest taking away from the success of Make Me an Island. Wasn't there a kind of, uh, a kind of deals going on in terms of it getting the power play on Radio Luxembourg and publishing royalties? Wasn't there a kind of thing in well, place that a lot of people who well, bought it wouldn't have known? You see, you're not learning too much all of a sudden, George Jackson. <laughs> Just a minute. <laughs> you do go to remember things. Okay. Well, actually, what, what basically happened was uh, when, when, uh, when I got Make Me an Island first, I got it from a lady called um, Joy Nichols, who worked with Shaftesbury uh, music publishers, of which uh, Geoffrey Everett was the head of, and also the head of Radio Luxembourg at the time. Okay. Now, she rang my office because she heard a song called Tarrant Cement, which we had done on an album, right? And she liked it. And she said she had a song that she reckoned would suit me. Would I come to London and hear it? And we went over and we heard the song. Now, we didn't know anything about the other setup. At that point. At this point, right? So we went down and we recorded the song. And in fact, we, we, the engineer on the song was a fellow called Bill Somerville Large okay. from Dublin. Uh, he used to work with uh, the Emin Andrew studio, as far as I can remember, in Dublin. And um, uh, Johnny Arthur was the arranger and the orchestrator and the whole lot for the, for the song. Uh, we recorded it 
along with a couple of other things at the time. Uh, well, of course, you had a flip side and a sure, yeah. front side and whatever. And then we heard the radio, we heard on Luxembourg, somebody say, gosh, you were in Luxembourg three times tonight, you know. And then you were in Luxembourg. God, you're power playing Luxembourg. And it was only then that I realised, that I that I learned, actually, that Jeffrey Everett, the head right. of the publishing company, okay. was the boss of Radio Luxembourg. So naturally, we were going to get all the players in the book. In fact, we were getting power play, which was once an hour on the hour. And we were getting every half hour as well. All right. Just in case you missed it on the hour, but, you were getting it anyway. Yeah, but you weren't getting any extra pennies because of that. Sure, you weren't. It was just helping sales. Well, as you was, said, he had the publishing royalties, so he kept the profits. He had the that oh, yeah, but I still got, I still got uh, my uh, artistic rights money, if you like, Okay. for singing right. the song. Okay. Uh, right. Plus your percentage of whatever you were getting on record sales, which in fact, the more he pushed it, the better it was for me. All right, and okay. the more, the better it was for me by by more people listening to it and, and the whole bit. In fact, so many people heard that song that one of the biggest thrills of my life was walking down through some part of London uh, with lots of lights in it. Could have been Soho now. Could have been so. I didn't say that, but it could have been Soho. Probably at night? was. At night? At night, yeah. <laughs> That's the only time well, you to go got to back Soho. out alive. That's, that's the only time to go to Soho. But I remember walking along by an um, arcade, um, uh, one of these slot machine places, and I heard thundering out of a jukebox, "Make me an island," and I couldn't resist. I had to go back. <laughs> no one knew me in London anyway. And you played so I went it. Back. No, I went back and had a look in, and here was a guy who was about six foot six, black. And he's standing with his two arms on the side of the jukebox and he's swaying from side to side to make me an island. And okay. he says, God, this has to be it. <laughs> it's going to go far. That was, that was a great thrill. Okay, that was cool. This, you know? It was cool. It was also a black guy, you know, listening yeah. to that kind of, getting moved by, right. kind of by, by that. And later during this edition of Under the Influence, after Joe told me about the influence singers such as Elvis had on him, I reminded him that he'd once said his own brother, Ben, Long-time saxophonist in his band and one of its founder members was maybe one of the biggest influences on his life in general. Very much so, and still is. Okay. And still is, yeah. Well, he's uh, he's the band leader. He's the sax player in the band, and uh, he's well. I won't say he's the manager because we have a manager, okay. but he thinks he is. Okay. <laughs> but uh, he's also the accountant. Okay. Very important. He looks after everything. He's, okay. he's tremendous. Did he yeah. look after everything from the outset? Yes. As an accountant? Uh, from the beginning, he was okay. the money man. Okay, because I did yeah. see one of the first headlines and I thought it was very funny. Joe has had his laughs, now he wants money. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I saw over up one day. <laughs> well, now you were drinking gin and tonic according realized, to the interview. Eh? I realised <laughs> there was something else out there. <laughs> but wait, but is that was that part of starting off? I know, like we were talking about the money you didn't get from the publishing royalties going somewhere else for for Make Me an Island. But was there a point at which earlier, back in the sixties, when you were doing your original recordings, you were ripped off and you did have to learn the hard way and then say, okay, we're going to appoint our own accountant. Yeah, and we're going to control well, it. Well, everybody, you see, everybody gets ripped off to a point, unless, uh, like the modern day artists, I think, are a little more smart now than we were, and uh, they, they sort of the first thing to do is is hire a solicitor to sign up something they haven't got even yet or an accountant to count what they haven't got yet. Right, I mean, okay. it's all there. It's ready to rock and roll if the money starts rolling in. Okay. Now, in, in the old, in our days, like when we started out in the business, I mean, it was a case of all you wanted to do was play to a crowd of people and okay. have fun. Right. 
you know, I mean, that wasn't in the back of your mind at all. Like, uh, like making cash, making where, where are the shillings for this? Right. Okay. That's until one day you had yeah. no dinner. Yeah. Okay. And you said, "Why have I no dinner?" <laughs> you know. Okay, so you decided to change things then. Well, we had to, you know. All right. Okay. So. But was that a drive for you too to not work as a printer or whatever to say this is also a good bloody way to make a living? Eventually, did you decide that, and you have well, made a good living out of it? I I enjoyed my time at the printing works. All right. And I enjoyed the camaraderie with the lads and all this sort of stuff in the printing office. Uh, but it sort of wasn't for me. Okay. I knew there was something else out there that I wanted to do. All right. So. Sort of this was it. And and my manager at the time in the Westmeath Examiner of the Examiner office, he sort of helped me on the way. Sexy. <laughs> no, he didn't actually. He said, look, you've got to make your mind up. It's either the Westmeath Examiner or show business. Oh, OK. And I said, look, that's the easiest thing I was ever asked to answer. I'm out of here. OK. And that was it. Joe Dolan there looking back at his days as a compositor, a job he took in 1958. But later, as you heard him say, left to form his first band, the Drifters. He should have known that Cliff Richards' group had that name and had to change it under legal pressure from the American vocal group, The Drifters. So too, Joe had to change the name of his act to Joe Dolan and his Drifters. But back in 2000, there was, particularly among rock snobs like Lord Bob Geldof, whom Joe mentions, a dismissive attitude to show bands and to their history. I asked Joe where he stood in terms of all this. Well, I know when we started, we were very raw. Okay. And... uh, it, it sort of didn't matter to us because we were enjoying it and people were liking it. So okay. we played like that for, for quite some time. And then we got a little bit refined because we sort of learned the instruments and one thing and another and, and ruined it all. had to be able to <laughs> and screwed everything up. Yeah. <laughs> but when you there, were, there were fantastic musicians around at the time. Like there were okay. really brilliant musicians. I mean, Van Morrison has spoken about that. Sure. And uh, while... Um, Buck and Bob doesn't think much of it, you know. <laughs> but then, not Bob Dylan, the Hastings had Bob Geldof. No, Bob Geldof, yeah, Lord Bob. Okay. Well, I mean, who who uh, pass much remarks now on Bob? No, to be quite honest. All right, okay. Sir Bob or otherwise, you know. Okay, but, all right, okay. Mind. But a lot of people dissed the show bands and the work you were doing, and there were a lot of great songs that were other people. Like, Love of the Common well, People. Well, still we stand, doing, they stand up as great songs. You did. What, what the bands were doing in those days? Well, they were doing exactly what the bands are doing today. Okay. Pleasing the crowd. Okay. You know, pleasing okay. the customers. All right. I okay. mean, you can talk about anyone you want nowadays and say, well, we're not out to please the crowd, you know, we're pleasing ourselves. I mean, you can go back to the Gallagher brothers if you wish. Now, at the end of the day, they have, have, they're working very hard on going back to America because they bombed out in America because of Liam's antics and I want to go home and all this sort of crap. Now, they are turning the rack to American way. Now that's not because it's what they want to do. They want to do that because their ego has been dented a little bit and they want to get back into to doing what the American people want to hear them doing. Okay, alright. Yeah. But a lot of people are also saying, like we had Gavin Friday on the series and, and Bono has said that kind of a lot of what they're doing are, are show band influenced. Like they're putting on a show and they're appealing to a big audience. Well that's I mean, exactly U2's what they're doing. Show it's, it's, yeah. It's a giant it's show a giant band. show band. Exactly right. what it is. Right, right. That's exactly what it is, except it's in a stadium and not in a dance hall. Well, moving into the, uh, in the 70s, I mean, we just talked about how you 2 played to massive audiences. But in the 70s, you, 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 I know they usually say it as a joke about poor Johnny Logan that it was huge in Turkey, but you were huge in every continent. And you played to like in Tel Aviv to what was it, like 60,000 people in one particular gig? 60 to 70,000 people in, in an open air gig in Tel Aviv, yeah. And you were escorted home and by the army. I was escorted home by the police, <laughs> the army, 
the Arabs, anyone that was hoping knocking around, they all gave me a lift home. Well, this is because the crowd refused to let you leave the stage. This is because we couldn't get out of the place, yeah. All right. How how did that, I mean, do moments like that strike you as utter madness, you know, or or do you just go, this Uh, is all part of my gig? Well, it was part of the gig at the time because uh, it was all very exciting. And you were rushed into a toilet area and then you were rushed out the back door of a toilet and you were rushed in the front door of another one and you were rushed out through this and rushed out through a a turnstile and stuffed into the back of the car. Okay. And there were sirens going everywhere. And I thought, there's the war on? (laughs) (laughs) You thought you were in office in Vegas. No, I thought the war was at the start. (laughs) Me having great crack with Joe Dolan. I guess if this show ever goes out in America, I better edit that line out. But after we played one of Joe's musical choices, Elkie Brook's song, Pearl's a Singer, I suggested to Joe that it was fueled by the kind of high emotion that he himself likes to invest in a song. I do, actually, yeah. I, I, I do that sort of stuff myself. I, I like to get... Um I like to get plenty of emotion into a song. I mean, it's not all the time possible. All right, okay. There's someone pulling at your leg at the same time. Well, that's lovely too. <laughs> get me wrong. Says he quickly. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but that idea, you were saying as the record was playing, that the idea of, you know, not doing a song till the very end, that you, you're actually letting down an audience that way. You, you are. are someone who has always been aware of playing to your audience. Yeah. I mean, I mean, th- that is part of your show. Well, if, like... Even with the last albums or anything else that we had out, if one, one of them was a, a played hit or anything like that, we always stuck it in quite early in the show. You know, I mean, I, I saw, um, funnily enough, a, a, a Riverdance, to digress totally. Okay, go ahead. I mean, when I saw Riverdance first, I mean, they did that seven-minute snippet at the end of the first half, which was great because you didn't want to wait till the end of the blinking show, like with an interval and everything. And then they finished off with it as well. Which I thought was a, a novel idea. Okay, right. That you, okay. Yeah, you were all. Everyone went out of the place at the interval, excited, up to the moon, and then they came back in and they left up to the moon again because I mean this is really what they went to see. But I mean the rest in between was tremendous as well. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, they, yeah. they did the piece that everyone wanted to see, and that's what I should think that somebody with a big hit record should put it in halfway through the show. Okay. Not when the show is over. And do you ever yeah. feel hemmed in? Did you ever at any point in all those years feel hemmed in by audience expectations? Did you ever go, look, I just don't want to have to do all these hits again. Do you ever go, I want to break in new songs. I want to change my image. Well, you see, what you do is you don't, you can't leave out the, the big ones, but you can leave out some of the minor ones. Okay. And there's not much remarks passed on that. I mean, you can stick, take out, well, okay, we have, let's say, Make Me an Island there. So you leave that or you may just push it down a little bit and take out another one, pull it up and then take it out and put in a new one. Okay, I'm going. I'm going to jump ahead. I'm going to break with chronology here because I want to play a song. It's it's a friend of mine. (laughs) Has he two legs or one? (laughs) He's only one now. So the idea. I want to play a song. It is chronology. Chronology. Not not criminology. No, No, it's not criminology. 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 We won't talk about that, Joe. No, we won't go into that. (laughs) Um, I want to play a song that has the same mood of Pearls the Singer. This is kind of coming from your latest album, and it's kind of it's your interpretation actually of you two's Who's Going to Ride Your Wild Horses and yeah. What I, and this leads into just the general question of over the last few years, you have kind of redefined yourself. So why this song? I mean, what made you turn towards this? Uh, well, it, I, was, I was asked if I'd like to do it. No, I, see, I got lots of songs for the albums, right? So we picked out one or two here and there. And I, I rather liked, I like this song. I liked the way Bono did it. I liked the way they the played it. I liked everything about the song. And it says, I could sing that. Or I reckon I could anyhow. Now, there's people out there who say that probably couldn't, but that's not the point. We they're not listening to the radio anyhow. Because okay. <laughs> it's you, okay. 
But anyway, we did the song because I, uh, and having gone into the studio like and, and uh, put it down and all, I was thrilled with the with the end result. So I delighted I had done it. And you wouldn't have to kind of consult Bono and Edge or anyone and say, no, it's just, it's a publishing deal no, done and you cover it. it's a publishing deal done. I mean, they got the money for it. And did they get back to you about it? No. Okay. All right. No. So maybe they'll hear it for the first time today. If well, they I hope they do. Okay, Joe, listening to that, you clearly enjoy singing that song. I did. I love doing it, yeah. I, I got a great buzz out of doing it. It was a lovely song. Great song. And you haven't done it yet live. Uh, we've never done it on stage, funnily enough, but um, as I was listening to it right now, I reckon we're going to uh, we're going to put it in the show, yeah. Okay. And soon afterwards, that particular edition of Under the Influence did end, with actually Joe Dolan telling me that his process of redefinition was helped greatly by recording the song Disco 2000 and that it made him so excited they had to literally drag him out of the studio. At which point I had to tell him he was being booted out of mine. Okay, so now let's fast forward a year or so to our second interview. And what follows are my edited highlights from a one-hour chat that I will not interrupt with added narration, lest that damage your sense that you are actually sitting in and eavesdropping. This tape was, as I said earlier, made in the snug of a Dublin bar, and as such you will hear background noises such as, say, the sound of a fan, not asking for an autograph, I mean an electric fan, and occasionally voices. I would no control over that, Joe chose the venue. Then again, this time round we were doing an interview for my weekly slot in the Sunday Independent, and background noises, which were actually kept to a minimum, because we both asked that the door of the snug be kept closed, didn't really bother us. I hope you feel the same. But what now strikes me as particularly appropriate, given that Joe would be dead within six years, is the fact that I had recently interviewed for the same newspaper many of his peers, such as Dickie Rock and Brendan Boyer, and found them to be in a reflective mood, looking back over their lives. So to begin with, I asked Joe Dolan if he felt or was in any way similarly inclined. Well, I'm not, because what happened yesterday, I did that. So good, bad or indifferent, I can't sort of change that. So do you, do you see any of the payoffs, no regrets? No, I have no regrets. Do you um, No, no right. none, none at all. I suppose I do, in a, in a sense. Uh, one, one sort of regret I have is when we recorded uh, Made Me an Island yeah. in, what, 69? Yeah. Uh, so you're 27 now. You it were, was. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I was nine when I did that. But I were, um, when I recorded that song, uh, it was written by Albert Hammond and Michael yeah. Hazelwood. Yeah. And one regret I have about all that is that they didn't stay doing what they were doing. All right. They split up at that time. Okay. And Albert Hammond went doing his own thing, yeah. recording his own songs. And Michael Hazelwood went, he was a great lyricist, and he went to uh, the West Coast in America, right. okay. where he is still writing right. film scores. Right. right. So the team that could have up. provided a lot more. I reckon they were a great team and they could have provided right. an awful lot more right. uh, stuff and probably things would have gone in a different direction. But you don't have major career regrets because you've sustained a long career. I don't. You've reinvented I... yourself. You and I have talked about that on radio. <laughs> yeah. You've done yeah. new songs, you've done old songs, you've kept one audience, you've got a new audience. So you couldn't yeah. have any real deep... Well, I've kept... Well, I've, I've, while I have a new audience, i kept the old audience. Yeah. I mean, they're still with me. Yeah. Uh, regardless of which way I turn... Uh, now, hopefully, with the next album, we're going to go in a different direction. I don't know yet okay. what we're going to do. We're having All a right. meeting over that, please God, over the weekend. And uh, I'll see what we're going to do with the next album. But I, I am very, very pleased that, uh, like, when EMI came on board, they stayed on board. Right. Yeah, like, yeah. they didn't turn around and say, well, uh, this is a one-off. All right. They were ready for another album. All right. 
they're still interested in doing a new album. All right, okay. And which is good. Which makes you very happy because you have the backing of a big major yeah, yeah, label. Yeah, yeah. Which I mean, a lot of people don't have. Sure they do. No, I know that. Well, Vicky Rock would be one who would give well, us IT to I get know, it. I there's, there's you know, none of them will get. Yeah. There's none of them will get this. So why do you still do all this stuff? Is it, is uh, it, you must have made enough money now to retire to I play golf say, for the rest of your life. Yeah, days. but the, the one thing about, uh, to be honest with you, Joe, uh, I never do this for money. Well, you did the start job because you and I talked about it on the radio. Well, we, when you, when you, we, as soon as you realised there was an easier way to make money than you'd been making it, no, and that I, people were making money you out know, of it. No, I said there was if there was an easier way without working. Um, yeah, is what I said. I didn't mention yeah, money. I've been I think. working. Yeah. Okay. You know, I said if I can get through this without working. All right. You know, all it right. must be easier way than working. Well, it turns out to be twice as hard to work as, as right. you know yourself. I thought there was an enemy that an interview around '69 that I did quote. Now, I may be wrong. Where you said, uh, just said, Joe wants to make dough out of his career too. That may have come out of an interview in some way. Maybe right. it's a good heading. I don't yeah. know. But I don't. Okay. I don't ever. You don't remember, remember having that urge. I don't ever remember having that sort of urge. That I'm only going on stage tonight yeah. because the place is full and I'm going to make lots of money. Yeah. Do you that, ever? Did that moment ever even hit that you? Nev right? That never hit me ever. All right. Ever okay. and still doesn't. And why could do you think that would be just the wrong attitude uh, to start singing with? But it's not what I think of. All right. Okay. It's not what I think of. So basically, well, basically, when I go out to do a show, the only thing I'm interested in is the people in front of me and the people who have paid in to see the show. All right. Uh, people who have gone out of the way to come to see me. They're my prime interest. All right. The manager of the club doesn't matter. The promoter doesn't matter. Nobody matters but the people sitting there in front but of me. But why do they matter that much to you, Because they lift me about 10 feet off the ground. All right, OK. Really and truly. Right, okay. and they, you they, mean that charge back from the The charge audience. comes, man, and I tell you, when you're on there, it's, well, you, like, I'm always sort of apprehensive about going on right. to start with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But as soon as you walk up to go on the stage, the cheer goes up, and you just get a lift. All right. You nearly, right. nearly floor on. All right. And that's okay. the way it is. Right. And has it always been like that? For the rest of the night. Is that the first time you realise, God, when I'm singing, this is what I get, really? Yeah, but I mean, I've always got a lift out of doing All that right. from crowds, right. you know. Now, maybe not in the early days. Right. Because you were battling against this and battling against that and bad okay. sound and yeah, yeah, yeah. sort of bad musicians, if you like, or yeah. whatever. Yeah. yeah. But now I have, a, I have a band. Well, I've had a band for many, many years yeah. that I'm very, very proud of. And they'll do exactly what I want them to do. They'll gel together nicely for me. They'll make right. me feel good on stage. Right. right. And is there then, never any nights you feel, I really don't want to do this. I'd rather be at yeah, home watching the telly. Loads of nights. Playing golf. Bro. Yeah, loads of nights. Yeah. But then again, when you hear the cheer of the crowd, that's all gone. All right. You don't do think of golf anymore, or you don't think about going home anymore. All right, all right. But do they lift you emotionally? They lift me emotionally, and, and, yeah. and well, if it's possible, physically. Oh, I know, no, because it is. Because you say you float, you feel you're yeah. floating. Yeah. You can get that in a, in a good conversation. Yeah. You know, well, whatever. You, you know, yeah, of course you can. Or if you connect with somebody, whether it's yeah. sexual or in any sense, you yeah. feel you're somehow off yeah, the planet. Well, it was like me in a pub and having a chat with them. Yeah, and you connect. Yeah, and you yeah. just forget the stuff around you. That's right, yeah. We all have that mini experience of what you get on stage. Yeah, that's right. Except you can keep going back for more. Well, that's... <laughs> so We're not always lucky to meet well, an interesting person in a pub. But I mean, well, that, that's true, yeah. When you say it lifts you, is there any time when... You, do, would you go around during the day down? Are you a depressive person? No. No, no, I've never been a depressive person, even in my lowest right. days. All right, I've okay. never been. Uh, I've never been depressed about anything. I knew. I sort of always feel there's something around the corner. Do you? Yeah. Natural optimist. Yeah, I am. Oh, I'm unbelievably optimistic. And what so would it be in the lowest days? Ah, uh, well, I suppose the lowest days was um, was after 
make me in Ireland and good looking woman, been top of the pops for two years, if yeah. you like. Yeah. And suddenly the two boys go away and do their own thing. Yeah. yeah. And I have no songwriters. Okay. Now I'm getting crap. Like from yeah, different yeah, guys yeah, in England and yeah. different guys here and, and there and I'm getting sort of a rewrite of Good Looking Woman and a rewrite of yeah, Make Me in yeah, Ireland. Yeah, sideways, yeah. backwards, upside down, <laughs> inside out. And you know, and, and here's a great song, you could do this, you know. And okay, well, what is this? Oh, I, I just wrote out the lyric. I have the record at home. I bought it in Spain last week. Sorry, I don't want to know. Oh, yeah, okay. That sort right. of stuff. Okay. And that got you down. And it did, because I was trying to think, well, is this it? Right, okay. Like, is you it know, over? Yeah. Have I gone right, to right, the... Right. Am I am I sort of a boy band that yeah, lasted yeah. for 12 months and now, okay. I'm, and now I'm doing nothing? I'm All not right. in the business anymore. And then along came... Uh, Roberto De Nova. All right. And he starts writing stuff for me, and he wrote marvelous stuff like Rock and Roller and right. Lady well. in Blue, Goodbye Venice. So that lifted you out Crazy of that. Crazy woman. Oh, for Jesus' sake! I was like a teenager again. But what about on a more personal level? Was there any more dark periods in relation to your family? No, I never had an hour period with my family. My All family right. were, were wonderful. Are your mum and dad still alive? No, they're not. No. Yeah, okay. My dad died when I was eight years old. Oh, did he? Okay. Yeah, and my mother right. died when I was about, about 15, 15 or 16. That's very young, Joe. Yeah, I know. Especially eight. Which are my brother and I, my brother and I lived together ever since. Okay. Oh, how old is he? How much older than he was he? He's only, you're 27, no, so he's, he's 32. Only, he's only about four, four or five years. Okay. So was that the family then when, when your mum and dad died? Yeah, well, all the rest the of my is. family, yeah, but all the rest of my family were scattered. My my father, I can never ever remember my father raising his hand to any one of us. Okay. Like even when I was eight years old, I never heard a crossword right, from him. Right. And did you get you on know? well with him yourself? Oh, I did, yeah. But he was see, my dad was a great fisherman. Was he? All right. Like weekends, you never see him. He's gone. Okay. To all right. Okay. And uh, and I I think about him quite often. <laughs> and my mother was uh, my mother was excellent as much. Well. But life. when he died, Joe, how did you how did it, was, how did it affect you? Well. Was it an accident enough, or a heart No, 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 he just got a heart attack. And how old was he, though? He went to that. He was 61, I think. It's pretty young. Yeah. Okay. He was 61. So how did that affect so, you as a young boy? Um, well, it, to be honest, uh, the day the day he died, uh, the weekend, like, the day he was buried, actually, I think it was on a Sunday. Right. There was a thing on called Lilliput Sports. Okay. And it was on Lilliput every... Lilliput Sports? Lilliput Sports, yeah. It was okay. down by the shores of Lilliput, okay. or uh, Lock right, the right, Lake. Right, 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 okay. And uh, of course, I, I want come on, come on, who's bringing me to Lilliput? We're going to Lilliput. So uh, that's my memory of that. Of the, anyway. de, of the, de, of the funeral? Of, of that day. But what about his absence after that when you're right now? Ah, yeah, well, I mean, okay. You'd, uh, oh, gosh, I often think of it, I still think But of did it. you get slagged by mates who said she had no dad or Jim no. Walter, none of that no. stuff? The no. nonsense? Because no. kids can be cruel. Oh, I know they can. No, you I never got, I mean? never got any of that at all. All right. No. And how did your mum cope then? Well, she did. She was. She was always. Uh, she was always a great. What was your dad's name, Joe? Paddy. And your mum's name? Uh, uh, Nelly. Nelly. Okay. So how Nelly, did your mum cope? Liked to call, she liked to be called Ellen. Ellen. Yeah. So how did she her. cope with the daddy being gone and, and raising well, the rest of his? To my memory, she coped sort of pretty well. All right. And she uh, she sent me to uh, piano lessons. All right. For years afterwards, which she could ill afford, I right, suppose. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At the time and. Uh, Right. And is there no sense that you feel you were missing a family growing up? Well, no, because... Like the guiding hand of a father you, or the father? Yeah, well, we're probably, probably young enough not to be scarred, like... Because you had the first eight years yeah. and then the years after that. Yeah, and then right. sort of Ben and I sort of did everything together. All right. 
like if Ben was going to town, I'd go with him. All right. Or no matter what, you know, if, if right. he was meeting some of the girls in town, I'd go and meet the girls right. with him and right. and this sort of stuff. And you know, we were sort of always. And you've remained inseparable. Well, almost inseparable. But there's times I'd like to kill him, and I'm sure there's times he'd like to hope and kill me. Even even today, like if you go away somewhere, he'd book and wind up in the next room to me. Really? All right. Did you say yeah. you live together still? No, so he's not, he's I know. Don't, don't have a place together. I don't, no, 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 no. Sorry. All right. Okay. No. So it's not kind of that he's kind of live without each other. Oh no! Oh gosh, right. no. No, I'm just talking about business-wise. Oh, okay. All right, On the okay. Road but you're also stuff. close to him, even though if you want to talk ah, yeah, about I'm very close to my brother, yeah. All right, and, and there isn't that sense of, you know, that when you got to your late teens and you're on, I'm on my own now in the world. No. How do I cope with never, all this? Never, never. Because he was there. He was always there. All right, he okay. He was always there, yeah. And he backed you going into music and all that. He did, and so he came in with me. Yeah. He was a carpenter. Right. And uh, he made my first guitar. All right, okay. Which was a fretless, before fretless. Okay. Ever came out, and he, the reason why it was he couldn't fretless. afford the fret. No, he didn't know what to do with them. I mean, where does a carpenter put frets on a bloody right. guitar? You know, oh, yeah, okay. where do you put them? Right, what are okay. they for? Yeah, yeah, yeah. These yeah. are for resting your finger on. All right. <laughs> <laughs> for skimming over notes. Yeah. All right. That's okay. Right. So that that's where it started. So is there any sense of you 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 don't feel that there's any gap in your life in terms of that level of family at all, even at this no. age looking back? No, there was never. I, well, I, I used to see my sisters uh, quite regularly. They'd come home and holiday and one thing or another. And even after my mum died, they still always came back. All right. And, uh, you know, they'd come back every year. Some of them would arrive at different times. And, All right. You know, there was always people. Well, there was always people in my house. Okay. After the family were gone, like uh, Ben had a friend's round and like Ben had a great trick. Uh, there was a bunch of girls used to work in the in a hotel in town, and uh, Ben was very friendly with them. And of course, him and I would have the house right. crap right. all week, you know, dirty oh, yeah, 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 and yeah, all that. Yeah. And we'd invite the girls out on the Sunday for a bit of crack, you know, and to clean up the whole house. That's <laughs> the only time you tidied up. <laughs> the girls would clean it up. And did you ever was there ever a stage at that where you followed the other route, the route of marrying and children and all that? Even oh, yeah. at, at 19, 20, 21 or up to. Yeah, well, I was engaged a couple of times. Okay, like back before you got into music. No, I was in music. At the oh, time. in music at the time. So when you yeah. after you were having the hits and all. Yeah. How many times? Twice. Twice, yeah. Well, I wasn't actually engaged, but I was. Uh, I was promised. Okay. By who? If by two who? <laughs> you have to explain these graces uh, to no, me. No, I had asked girl. I had asked this particular girl to marry me. Okay. She agreed. Okay. And then she thought it wasn't such a great idea. Uh, right. along the line and, uh, either to marry or to marry you to marry fucking me <laughs> so she left and All then right. uh, I met a lovely girl in England and she yeah. stayed with me for yeah. oh about two years alright uh, she used to come over for sort of weeks on end and go back for a month and come over for a couple of weeks and, right this is in the 70s so was that it that didn't sort of work out then yeah that was in the 70s yeah and did that did that hurt were you disillusioned or disappointed? No, I wasn't because... Or do you think your woman made the right decision? I, well, I probably... I don't know. Well, actually, I didn't let the decisions be mine at all. They were lovely girls. And while we sort of... I, I let it go to a point where, yeah. mutually, neither of us were interested. All right. But and I... And gone the full hog, gone yeah. the whole wedding. So I let them right. Right. run me. Uh, they made the decision all that right. they were leaving. All so right. I wasn't hurting anybody. All right. 
Because I wouldn't. Not and were you hurt by it, or did you feel disappointed? I had pangs at different times, yeah. All right. But would you have decided this is not for me when it gets into the whole idea of marriage and going down the route of your brothers and sisters? Yeah, well, I didn't. I honest to God didn't think I was. Uh, marriage material. Well, it didn't, not that I wasn't mar marriage material, <laughs> but I never felt I was mature enough. All right. Like, I've always been very kiddish. Okay, yeah, yeah. Seriously, yeah, and yeah, I still yeah. am. Okay, okay, yeah. You know, yeah, like, yeah. in my head, I'm young, much younger than I am. Okay. Like, I I do strange things at different times. Uh, like reckless you know, things, I, like boys well, would do, just kind yeah, of go crazy, a little just, crazy. Just do things that people say, geez, you think of your age, and it okay. more sense than that, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Nobody. I just pump off and go yeah, somewhere. Yeah, or, or maybe go on the piss with a few of the yeah, lads yeah, up the yeah. road. Right. Or something. And All right. I... I feel, I don't know. I feel, I feel much more comfortable in 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 the company of younger people. All right. Than I do of people my own age. Let's oh, okay. Say. Because right. I find people of my own age are are ready with one foot in the grave, if you like. Okay. And uh, they're talking about things that happened twenty years. Do you remember so and so okay. twenty years ago? We went down childish stuff. Sure, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, I mean, yeah. is that all that they have to think about? All right, okay. You, like, and as you say, you're not a looker backer. That's I'm not, not a looker backer. So, I mean, if I'm with a younger bunch in right. a bar and all the rest of it, and we're having our drinks, I find I can relate all right. to what they're talking all about. Right. Okay. Is this you people know? at 20 or ah, no, teenagers at 30? No, not, not, not teenagers. They're only bullshit. Yeah, right, okay. No, okay. I'm talking about uh, people from 25 up. Okay. All right, you know, okay. But that would suggest that you're immature in ways. Yeah, but that's what I just fine, said. Which is fine. That's what I just said. You accept said. that I about have, yourself. I accept yeah, that I'm yeah. immature, yeah. yeah and I, yeah. I always, I always felt that, right, I was, I right. that I was, uh, well, I was immature, yeah. So you kind of made that decision, this is, this is not the path that Joe is going to follow. No, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to go to this, this, to this stage where you say, Lord, I'm tired now, and... Do you know, if it was only 20 years ago, I've never right, said that. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know, yeah. I think what I do now is just as important as to what I did yeah. Uh, yeah. 20 years ago. And I have the same uh, the same energy to do now yeah. what I did 20 years yeah. ago. So I yeah. don't see any reason for Well, you're defying the process in pop, which I think is great. Well, I don't know. No, no but the fact of wrong. reinventing yourself musically and doing songs by you 2 and all, when, yeah. when most people are expecting you to go into the nostalgia circuit yeah. and only repeat your younger self. Yeah, well, as soon as the nostalgia thing starts, I'm out of here. Yeah, I know. That's not, that's not you who know, you are. No. You know? I, I don't even feel that I'm any younger than I am. Right. The point about it is I think differently. I think All younger. Right. All right. I think younger and I, I sort of basically act. I mean, I know guys my own age. Like, I meet them in pubs and all the rest of it. And I look at them and I reckon, Christ almighty, they're old people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Do you know, how do they let themselves get to be old people? Alright. Do you know, like, they don't look after themselves, they're thinking like old people. Alright, okay. Is there ever a moment where they talk about the kids and you wish, Jesus, I'm going to go without having children? Oh. No? no? I'm not saying you may not have children, Joe. No. But, you know, do you ever listen to them talking about their son going to college and having a great day out playing golf or fishing with their sons? I do, and I hear them talking about the young lad was arrested last night and he was smoking <laughs> cannabis. Okay, the other side and, of it. And I can't get him to do this. And All I, right. I, this fellow's at home with the bed and he won't get up. 
Oh, okay. And he's 19, and I can't get him to work. And so that's the less romantic side of being a parent. That's the less romantic side of being a parent. So I said to myself, oh, look, he me. <laughs> but do you really feel that, Joe? Yeah, oh, look, he me. Because, you know, a lot of people get to a certain age, <coughs> they regret maybe those things. No, that, I'll tell you, I've right. got a very happy disposition with myself. Right. And uh, I, funnily enough, am tremendously fond of my own company. All right, okay. You know, really right. I am. Okay. I'm probably selfish. <laughs> In, in lots of ways by saying that and, and being, being comfortable with myself. Alright, okay. You know? So would you say you've lived an exciting life? or I've had, so a, much I've, I've had a fantastic life. I've lived a great life. Uh, I did everything I did I wanted to do. Alright. So, well I suppose lots of things I didn't do that I wanted to do, but I mean everything I've like done, what the what, what, everything what, I've done I wanted to do. Alright, what things would you have liked to have done that you didn't do? Well, I suppose I would like to, like, I just, I don't want to just go back at things, but I mean, I, like, I'd like to have done more songs. With right, with that, Facebook yeah, right, And okay. that sort of stuff. Alright, alright, you just but, made more at a career level. Yeah. But at a personal level, is there anything? No, on a personal level, there isn't anything that I, that I haven't done that I, that I would want to have done. So have you got, are you really happy and secure yeah. where you're living right now? I'm very, I'm very contented person. Uh, loads and loads of, of good friends, not in show business. Do you keep friends? Oh yeah. Do you keep friends a long time yeah. when your friends come no, in and out of your life? I keep friends a long time. All right, okay. Yeah, I do. You, know, you must be, you're one of the first kind of uh, absolutely satisfied, happy, balanced, lacking regrets, non-ruined uh, well, singers. You know, you talk, I've talked to so many, yeah. you must read the articles, no, but where so many have... I've, I've never... See, it's very difficult to, to sort of tell people that I don't feel I'm in show business. All right, okay. You know, I'm not a show business person. All right. Now, you can see that the way I dress. All right. You know, I'm dressed for golf. Okay, yeah, yeah. You know, so I'm not, uh, I'm not a sort of a, <laughs> a peak cap, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. big boots, uh, combat pants or yeah, yeah. that sort of uh, clothes wearer to say, sure. I'm in show business, look at me, job. That's, that's not me at all. The only, the only time I'm in show business is when I'm on stage. And the rest of the time it's just a normal everyday life. The rest of the time I'm not in show business. I just live, I'm just an ordinary an ordinary being, Joe. Hopefully, I'm an ordinary huh? Joe. <laughs> well, I said I'm not Joe. We could get away with that one because we're both Joe. <laughs> the late and the Wahid cliches, great Joe Dolan, who died Christmas in 2007. So by way of marking the 10th anniversary of his death, let me end this show with him singing the hell out of, or if you like, singing heaven into, a song many dismiss as hackneyed, Danny Boy. That song may indeed have been, as they say, done to death, but Joe's 1969 recording, in my opinion, matches the best pop versions by Jackie Wilson, Tom Jones and Elvis. In fact, when I first heard Elvis Presley's version in 1976, it made me swear secretly that if he died before I got to see him in concert or in my dreams meet the man, I would one day kneel by his grave and say an Alfie. I've no doubt that Joe's recording will make many of his fans feel like they, by his grave or otherwise, want to do the same. So I dedicate this recording and this show to the memory of Joe Dolan and to his fans. Thank you for listening. Hi, Joe Jackson here again. I thank you for listening to this edition of the Joe Jackson Interviews podcast. More can be heard on my website, joejacksoninterviewer.com.